أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد We give praises and thanks to Allah Azza wa Jal We send salutations and blessings upon the noble messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam on his household, illustrious companions and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day May Allah make us of them Amin Dear brothers and sisters and elders, this is your brother Idrisu Muhammad Madugu, the founder and director of the Center for Islamic Worldview and Development. Today, inshallah, we will be looking at the purpose of Islamic education. And this lecture seeks to focus on our SWOT, our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats as a nation, country, Ghana. As our country, Ghana, Muslims are in the minority. So what are we doing as far as education is concerned? How do we make sure education in order to our holistic benefits? So before we move on, we would first of all need to state clearly that many people hold the view that education is simply a learning process. That education is just about learning, accumulating knowledge, so that one group of people will demonstrate superiority over the other group. But for us in Islam, we see that education goes beyond just learning. Education to us is a tool for, so for reform and social reconstruction. Education we see it as a tool for reform and social reconstruction. And this reform and social reconstruction must be anchored on divine principles of ethics and morality and the outcome of it should be a holistic development so that people see development both spiritually mentally psychologically and materially and what have you so all the spheres of life we see education to be a tool to advance the the well-being of mankind in all their spheres of life so that is how we see education from the Islamic worldview or from the Islamic viewpoint. And it is very important to know that several years when revelation stopped coming to mankind, the end of the advent of Nabi Isa wassalam, the world was left for so many years without divine revelation. So what happened was that the whole world got covered in darkness darkness over here we're talking about ignorance polytheism moral bankruptcy of all sorts and to even word it more properly it is like the world was on its knees crying to heaven for redress of the many corruption that has invaded it just like it is mentioned in the Quran Zahar al-Fasad fil wal-Bahar that corruption has spread over the land and on sea because of what the hands of men have done. So that is what happened in the world. So now that it is time for Allah Azza wa Jal to you know, rescue the world from these manacles, Allah Azza wa Jal revealed the first ever communication to his last and final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And this revelation seeks to open the door for us human beings to tap into to tap into the divine treasures 
and then rescue ourselves and the world we are living in and place the world on a path of progress. And then Revelation goes as Iqra, read, khalaq, in the name of your Lord who created. Who created man from a congealed blood? Iqra, read. Akram. And your Lord is most generous. The one who thought by the pen. He thought man that which he does not know. So this was the first revelation the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam received from Allah azza wa jal and this sought to be the gateway to human progress. Some people would be surprised. Why didn't Allah azza wa start with salah or zakah or hajj or the other rituals of Islam? But he started by saying read, query, seek knowledge, inquire, inquire about realities, ask questions. Conduct intellectual activities. Why? Why all this? Allah Azza wa Jal has a reason to make education the center or the, the opening, the entry point to all the other revelations. This alone tells us the position of education and knowledge as far as Islam is concerned. Now there are some lessons we can derive from these revelations, the first five verses of Surah Al-Alaq. The first revelation received by the Prophet Muhammad sallam. There are some lessons we can derive from that. Scholars have observed that all the tools we need to acquire, to record, to transmit, and to disseminate knowledge has been captured in this particular ayah. All the tools we need to acquire, I would reiterate, to acquire, to record, to transmit, and to disseminate knowledge has been captured in these verses. Another lesson we can derive from it is that there is what we call the integration of Islamic Tawhidic worldview into curriculum and syllabus. So when Muslims are going to approach education, there is a need for them to visit these particular verses to see how Allah has integrated the Islamic Tawhidic worldview into education so that when we are designing curriculum and syllabus, we will be guided by this particular verses and how Allah Azza wa revealed it. So education from the Islamic perspective must have both the religious and secular elements. And that is the way that we are going to have a holistic development. When we say holistic development, a development that doesn't leave spirituality behind, neither does it leave material well-being behind. But when we break between these two, the holistic development, when we, develop, when, when we break between the two, we over-relied on religious knowledge, leaving behind scientific knowledge, or we over-relied on scientific knowledge, leaving behind religious knowledge. What happens is that we rob ourselves of balance. That particular element of us being ummat and wasata, a balanced nation. We rob ourselves of that. Just like Allah has already mentioned in the Quran that وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا That is how we have made you a balanced nation. A nation that is not extreme on one side. You have a very balanced 
approach to things. When we over rely on one aspect of knowledge, perhaps religious, leaving behind scientific knowledge, or when we rely only on scientific knowledge, leaving behind religious knowledge, then we are going to rob ourselves of this particular balance. And some of the things that happens is that religious scholars who are trained in such a system that is devoid of the balance would tend to demonstrate clear misunderstanding of the world they are living in. And that would affect their fatwa. That would affect how they approach thought because of how they are trained. They are trained only in the religious script, the, the religious you know, thought, but they do not have any other scientific thoughts. So whenever they are going to conduct a fatwa, it affects how they look at things, and that is really problematic. It reminds me of the of what Abu Hanifa Rahimahullah Ta'ala did. One day Abu Hanifa was asking his student who is very interested in science and you know medicine and what have you. So Abu Hanifa was asking what happens when we do a heart transplant from the heart of a non-Muslim to that of a Muslim? So when we do a heart transplant using the heart of a non-Muslim and we are transplanting it into the heart of a Muslim, what happens? Abu Hanifa, look at the time he lived, but he is very concerned about science, about medicine. Why? Because he is a scholar of fiqh, Islamic jurisprudence. and. Some of these things are of great importance when, it's, when it comes to how you conduct your fatwa. So Abu Hanifa is already interested in this, but look at the time, Abu, look at the time Abu Hanifa lived. So that is why Albert Einstein mentioned that science without religion is lame, and religion without science is blind. Science without religion is lame, and religion without science is blind. Which means if you pursue pure scientific knowledge, without having religious knowledge attached, then it is lame, it, it, it cannot travel very far because it will be devoid of ethics and morality. So it, it ends up creating more problems for humanity than solving them. That is why we see us, we find ourselves in such a world where people are pursuing scientific knowledge, leaving religious knowledge behind. And then we see issues of ethics and morality. People lose the uh, moral compass as far as application of these scientific solutions are concerned so a lot of, a lot of the time we see people you know suffering from the from the effects of of this application and other people too who are purely religious without science it affects the way they see reality and that goes a very long way to affect the way they even conduct their fatwa and even make certain rulings for their people so that is why when you go back to Islamic history, the history of our religion, you realize that our scholars were mostly, they were largely polymath. That idea of specialization came not long ago, but the scholars of the, of the golden age of Islam, when Islam was leading the world, they were, they were polymath. They were people who do not limit themselves as far as knowledge is concerned. They see every knowledge to be important provided it's going to be subjected to the Islamic principles. They will have to pursue that knowledge, provided it is of benefit to the people. They will have to pursue that knowledge. And a few examples we can consider is the Ibn Khaldun. Ibn Khaldun was noted as the father of sociology. He was also the father of historiography and modern economics. If you look at his Magnus Corpus, the Al-Muqaddimah, 
There are many contributions Ibn Khaldun did in the area of sociology, historiography, and modern economics, yet he was a religious scholar. But that didn't prevent him from pursuing other sciences. Why? Because he knew, this, he knew that these sciences are of great importance to the development of man. And so he has to go drink deep into the ocean of knowledge to be able to make proper recommendations that inure to the benefit of the people. We had the Al-Biruni, who was noted as the father of comparative religion, Jodhisi, and so on. Al-Biruni propounded the concept of comparative religion with the belief that we are Muslims and we are not going to live alone. We are not going to live in isolation. There would come a period of time in our development where we would have to share space, would have to share the same space with people of other faith extracts. So what happens if we do not have clear understanding of what those people are practicing? Where, what happens when we don't know the differences between us and them? What happens if we don't know the, the, the similarities between us and them? You see, there would be, you know, pandemonium. We are going to be at odds with each other. But the situation where we know our similarities, what we all agree on, and we also know our differences, what we differ on, then it's going to help us to create a very good superstructure that takes care of us collectively. So that I know the no-go areas of the, of the one I'm dealing with. And he also know my no-go areas. And we know what we agree on so that we are able to leverage on our, on our similarities to, to, pro, to procure, you know, to, to actually create a structure that gives us peaceful coexistence. And this is very important as far as, you know, comparative religion is concerned and so on and so forth. That is some of the works of Al-Biruni, yet he was an Islamic scholar. He didn't only limit himself to the Islamic sciences, but he even went further to pursue other religious sciences to see what is in there. We had the Muhammad Al-Idrisi, the father of the world map. Just look at that, father of the world map. Looking at the world map already. Meanwhile, they were Islamic scholars, but they're looking at how the world is, and so on and so forth. We have the Shaybani, the Farqad al-Shaybani, whose full name is Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn al-Hassan ibn Farqad al-Shaybani, who was known as the, Mus the father of Muslim international law. He was the father of Muslim international law. We also spoke before about the Ibn Sina, Ibn Sina, who was the author of the Al-Qanun Fitib, the canon of medicine. Ibn Sina's canon of medicine became the standard text for medicine in the West and of course many parts of the world for so many years. The whole world relied on the works of a scholar of Islam, Ibn Sina, to see how to actually deal with medicine. And Ibn Sina drew his inspiration from the Quranic teachings and that's of the Prophet Muhammad what we came to know today as Tibunabawi, prophetic medicine. And of course other areas that Ibn Sina drunk deep as far as the ocean of knowledge is concerned. We have the Al-Khawarizmi, the father of algebra. And this particular word algorithm was actually coined from the name Al-Khawarizmi. So that tells us the kind of people, the kind of scholars Islam had. And this, because of their approach to knowledge, that is why Islam gained dominance, became the most important religion. At a point in history, people have to come and study 
Arabic language in order to learn signs. Why? Because many of these scientific texts were written by Muslim scholars who have Arabic background, Arabic language background. So this alone should direct us to see, to rethink how we pursue education as far as Islam is, is concerned. May Allah Azawadal be our guide. And another look at the message contained in Iqra, the verses, the first five verses revealed to the Prophet ﷺ. Another look at it revealed that Muslims were given the foundations to explore every field of knowledge. Every field of knowledge. Muslims were given the foundation to explore those fields of knowledge. For example, Dr. Saidu Ahmadukawa in Nigeria, he argued that many of the development in the world today can be traced back to, to these verses, many of the developments we see today. So, for example, he said this particular ayah says, Ikra read in the name of your Lord who created. So, for example, a questioner is asking, read. And he said, what should I read? Why or how should I read? And he said, in the name of your Lord. And he said, who is this Lord? That you are asking me to read in his name. They say, Allah the Khalaq, the one who created. Oh, okay, he created? Okay, what did he create? He said, he created Khalaq al-Insani. He created man. Oh, okay, he created man? Oh, okay, that means the, there is a need for us to study how the man was created. The anatomy of the man. Min Alaq, he created him from a clot of blood. Oh, okay, is it, did it just start with a clot of blood? Okay, so now this particular ayat are sparking what we call intellectual curiosity. It is stirring our intellectual curiosity to begin to ask, what at all is this, is this man made of? What is the human anatomy? So Ahmed Dukawa said that the study of the human anatomy came to inform man to, 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 to develop the concept of infrastructural development that when a building is going to be established there is a need for us to go back to human anatomy to see how human beings is the human being is created so that we derive some lesson from from it he also made mention of the public health that the hospitals we have in our community after we have infrastructure we now come to think of the public health issues the hospitals educating people about lifestyle and dietary education and what have you all of it could be traced back to the ayah. You also come to think of the how human beings travel. That is what helps us to develop the concept of transportation by looking at the human skeletal system. You know, before we have a car, before a car was developed, there is a need for us to look at the chassis, the framework of the car. That would be the place to host the car itself. So that looks at the skeletal system of man. A comparison was made between the skeletal system of a car and the skeletal system of man. And also going back to look at the, the heart and the nervous system of man, that, that is the central region of, of man. That is going to direct man on, on, on what to do, how to carry the body around. So that, that, that informed the system of the engine of the car. And that is why today we even have very advanced cars that are able to detect danger and stop. Just like man will behave involuntarily when he is exposed to danger. So Ahmed Dukawa has the view that all these things, studying the anatomy of man, was what revealed this particular knowledge to, to, to humanity.
but in our case uh, in our case we have broken between the two the two chains we have broken between the the two chains such that men are just thinking about the religious knowledge only or they are either thinking about the scientific knowledge only without striking a fine balance between the two so that has led many of the muslim communities particularly in non-muslim countries in fact in even muslim countries realizing that we now have educational systems where it is purely secular there is nothing religion a religious attached to it there is no you know the, the two are not placed on equal footing so we decided that okay let us build madrasas the, the madaris that would take care of the spiritual aspect that is lost in the in the secular educational system but what has become of the madrasas if we may we may throw this challenge to us when it comes to the buildings our madrasas are far behind in terms of you know modernity in terms of modernization the the other the other ones which are the secular ones are very modern they have very good facilities but when you come down to the madrasas you see that they are they are very very backward we seem to be living in the stone ages even though we are in 2022 when it comes to syllabus the madrasa seems to be having the most confused syllabus ever the education in the madrasas is mostly based on memorizations so students go there they do a lot of memorizations without even understanding what they are memorizing it is just like someone who studied who could who memorized like 1000 poems but unfortunately for him the memorization is in chinese language for which he doesn't even understand and then he comes and he is able to chant 1000 poems in chinese language and when you ask him what us what is this poem all about and what does this poem seek to teach us how do we derive lessons from this and he said, i don't know i don't know i have just memorized them that is the kind of system we have that is the kind of syllabus we have so there is a need for us to go back and revisit our system and even how we treat the teachers of these madrasas as far as their salaries are concerned their terms of service terms of engagement is concerned and what have you their working conditions and even our attitudes towards paying the fees of these madrasas we have relegated the madrasa completely everything about the madrasa is just far behind so this particular thing when it continues what we are going to have is a generation of children who are going to see value in the secular education and they will not see any value in the religious education so they grew up believing that the religious education is of no any importance because with our attitude we've demonstrated clearly to them that this one is more important than the madrasa education so we we we, we, we risk getting a generation that is going to be what allah was describing was describing in surah al-rum verse 7 يَعْلَمُونَ ظَاهِرًا مِنَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنِيَا وَهُمْ عَنِ الْآخِرَةِ هُمْ غَافِلُونَ Allah Azza wa Jal says they have relevant, they have, you know, deep knowledge about the the, the ظَاهِرًا مِنَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنِيَا The apparent things of the worldly life. When it comes to the worldly sciences, they are very, very knowledgeable there. وَهُمْ عَنِ الْآخِرَةِ But they, uh, with, with regards to re- religious knowledge or anything that has to do with the akhirah, anything that has to do with the spirituality anything that has to do with ethics and morality they are heedless they have no knowledge about it that is the kind of generation we are we are we are, we are creating and allah is going to judge us one after the other 
for, for, for leaving the Ummah of the Prophet Muhammad in such a limbo. So, the future, what we need to, to pay attention in the future is that we need a generation of people, a generation of, you know, thinkers, scholars, scientists, academics that have a, a very good blend of the two knowledge, both religious and secular. And we need to be able to set up academic institutions that are going to have this type of syllabus that has both the religious element of it, it also has both the scientific element of it. And this should be done based on, the, on what we call epistemological integration. Epistemological integration is the way forward for Muslims living every, in every part of the world, where we are going to be having both the scientific knowledge and also the religious knowledge moving hand in hand. Because if we should go back and look at the, the verses of Iqra, which is the foundation for Islamic education, you see that Allah Azza wa integrated Islam throughout education, as argued by Professor Mishanu. So for example, the ayah says, Iqra, read, but what? In the name of your Lord who created. So now the question arises, there is reading over here, but it must be done in the name of who? Allah Azza wa So Allah Azza wa has been integrated into the ayah. He created man from a clot of blood. The question arises, who created man from the clot of blood? Allah. So Allah Azza wa has been integrated again into the study of man, how man was created. So when people are going to learn this scientific stuff, we should also include element of the deen. We should look at the Islamic aspect of all of these that would help the people to see the greatness of Allah in whatever they are studying. So Allah in the second verse has been reintegrated into the educational syllabus. He said, Iqra, read, Akram, and your Lord is most generous. So which means, who is your Lord over here? Allah So Allah has been reintegrated into the knowledge again. So which means when a man does the first aspect of the reading, he is doing it with ikhlas. He is doing it with the name of Allah He is doing it following ethics and principles, following morals, mor moral values that Islam has laid down. And uh, he is doing it hoping that it is Allah that gives knowledge. So at the second level of the knowledge where he begins to make notes, he begins to research, he begins to propound stuff, he is doing it hoping that Allah will open his, his mind to see more of the creation of Allah to have more knowledge about the creation of Allah Right? To give us more insight. It is Allah that gives more insight. So for example, when you are teaching people these elements of research, you tell them, Fear Allah and Allah will give you knowledge. So it means the knowledge is, is, is rooted on the fear of Allah So Allah again has been reintegrated into this particular ayah. It says, He is the one who taught by the pen. Who taught by the pen? Allah. So Allah again has been reintegrated into the ayah. He thought man that which man does not know. Who taught man that which man does not know? Allah. So Allah again has been reintegrated into the knowledge. So these five verses of Surah Al-Alaq gives us the foundation to see how education should be conducted. So we, see, we look forward to a future where Muslims will begin to rethink the way education is conducted. Let us assess the so-called Islamic schools we are having today. Is it really conducted on the basis of epistemological integration? 
mostly that is not the case you go there and you realize that most of the sciences that are taught over there and even the social sciences them the pure sciences and what have you that are that are taught over there they are taught in in the purely secular way it doesn't have that islamic element of it so we really need to begin to rethink islamic scholarship so that in the future we would not be risking having children who are going to respond to the ayah of room as seven or we do not end up risking having scholars who are purely religious and when it comes to aspect of science and technology and development they have no knowledge about so i pray to allah azawadal to put barakah in the little this is not an entire lecture that suffices for our situation but i i hope that it opens up the discussion so that we conduct further studies to see how we are going to better the status quo. May Allah Azza wa Jal put barakah in the little that we have said. Rabbana atina min ladunka rahmah wa hayi ilana min amrina rashada wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Please do very well to share this podcast with other friends so that we are going to have a lot of people joining in this discourse. Assalamu alaikum.